You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This episode is made possible by Springpoint Partners. Black people in environmental conservation have not historically received the same visibility in the media. This not only fails to acknowledge their contributions, but also leaves young people without role models in fields such as water. That's why a conservationist is profiled each day during Black History Month by Sierra Taliaferro, founder of the Green Obsidian. In this episode, she talks about five years of writing these profiles and shares examples of people she is highlighting this year. Now to the conversation. You're in the water loop. Sierra, I am so happy to finally do a podcast episode with you. Like we've been connected, I think, on LinkedIn for a while. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, have always admired your writing. Like I, I encourage people uh, to go check it, check it out. You know, the way you write about stuff is so thoughtful and, and articulate and, and just really awesome. And I love the work you do to highlight other people. Um, and that's what we're going to chat about today. So um, one of the things you're doing here, we're in February, it's Black History Month. Uh and you highlight a lot of folks out there, uh, black people that work in conservation. Um, let's talk about the problem first. How would you describe the lack of attention on black people working in conservation, you know, especially historically and including in the water space? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think personally, black professionals who work in the conservation space don't always receive the same mainstream media attention as their other counterparts do. And so especially in water careers or blue careers in particular, mm. like they are just not seen as often, which really contributes to the lack of representation in a lot of these fields, but especially for the younger generation who just aren't able to visualize themselves in these careers. So I definitely think it's misleading to think that our presence is invalued well represented in these spaces, especially in conservation careers and blue careers in general, um, that links a lot of the community to the environment with our own unique perspectives and cultural awareness in this issue. Mm. Yeah, um, can you talk more about the problematic side of, of the lack of representation, you know, historically and, you know, that idea that because young people can't see themselves in these careers out there, just, just what that does, the impact of that, just want to really dig into your thoughts on it. Yeah. The impact that it has is it's, it truly, I mean, I'm, I speak of it from a personal perspective where like I never saw myself in those careers and, and especially even going through college, mm. you know, we, we go through a lot of these readings and articles that often highlights a lot of the issues that come up, whether it be water, air, land, or soil. Um, but I never saw that representation listed in, in articles anywhere. Um, and so just from a personal perspective, I can only think about how that impact uh, for other young kids who want to get into that field, probably feel disheartened, don't feel encouraged to want to go in those spaces because they often don't want to feel like the only one there. And that's a very common occurrence that happens to a lot of our youth in these areas where they just don't feel like they're represented enough in those spaces. So why necessarily invest the time to even go into that 
a particular avenue of career. Yeah. So to talk about what you are doing every year for Black History Month. When did you start this uh, and, and what's this effort that you, you do? I'd love, like to hear it in your words. Yeah. So really in the midst of like the combination of my passion and fury for also feeling those same sentiments of just not feeling included or represented or just seeing the representation I needed in those areas. I just got to this point where I was just so frustrated with not seeing it. And so I just kind of took it upon myself to say, well, if mainstream media isn't going to highlight these people that I know exist out there, then I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so in 2019, when I actually started this project, I just kind of went, I just took a nosedive into just researching and reading and watching videos of all of these amazing black professionals in this space. And because I wanted like to share like all this great content, I was like, well, let me just kind of write about them. And it just so happened to be Black History Month. It, it just gives more emphasis to their greatness, I think. And, and so I just kind of took a lot of those videos and articles and I summarized it on my personal Facebook page and just kind of started to highlight a new person every day for the month of February from, from start to finish. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed into like this, this whole thing of like our people wanting to know, are you going to do it again this year? And of course <laughs> I did. <laughs> like, because people were looking forward to it because it really opened their eyes and builded awareness. It builds awareness around like who these people are and the work that they're doing. And it's so broad of all the things that they're doing for sure. And so I just was like, okay, yeah, let's just keep doing it. And, and again, like it wasn't anything that I, I kind of planned on like, it just kind of erupted into this beautiful, like passionate project, this labor of love. Um, that I just love to do every year because I, over the year, like I find people that like sound interesting or I just find their stories some kind of way, whether that be through LinkedIn or Facebook or some other entity or social media platform. And it was like, I'm going to save them for later. And so henceforth, moving forward, um, now in the fifth year, I created this platform called The Green Obsidian, which is really created to build awareness about these black professionals in this space but to also use their stories as a source of inspiration for the next generation of environmental leaders. To come up with profiles for 28 people, right? For the, for the whole month of February and to research them, write that stuff out as well as you do. I mean, that's a, that's a big lift. Yeah, it's about 140 people, just quick math and in counting. And that's every year. And, and that's just the people that I highlight in the story piece. That's not including the people that I didn't get to write this year like i have people on my list but i, I have a continuing <laughs> list of people that i add and i just save them for later yeah i hear you i the same thing happens to me with with guests for this podcast i'm like there's more people that i want to talk to than i have room for episodes so just keep that list and hope that they come around kind of like this conversation with with you here so yeah. five years i didn't even realize that yeah, so it, it, fast on you <laughs> and and now the expectations are there the whole you yeah. know people out there expect you to do this every year <laughs> so um yeah for sure so i'd love to uh just hear maybe about some examples of individuals uh that you've highlighted uh you know obviously maybe from the water space and just have you share share uh some of these people and their stories and their work oh man 
So especially in water, some of the people that I've highlighted over the years, just off the top of my head, um, is Moses West. Moses West, he created his own like atmospheric water generator, which literally extracts moisture from the air, condenses it down, and turns it into water. Um, and his work was so fascinating because I love the fact that he's also made his own foundation, uh, his own foundation called the Moses West Foundation as well that he just um, collects donations to provide portable clean water to a lot of income communities, low income communities um, that have been especially impacted by natural disasters. So his story was absolutely fascinating. Other people that come to mind is, of course, I can't forget her. Um, she's a fierce water advocate. It's Amariana or Amari for short, Mari Kopany. And she was formerly known as Little Miss Flint. If you haven't read about her, you need to. Um, she did amazing work, and I'm just so thankful of how she uses her platform to build awareness around not just the water issues that happened in Flint, but Flint is just one example of something that's been happening for a while in many other cities across the U.S. So I just loved her story, and, I, and especially her being a young advocate uh, that often doesn't get highlighted as her generation, and just showing the versatility of not only um, just conservation champions who are maybe my age or older, but also younger than me. So I just love that. Other people that come to mind on my list, um, also Catherine Coleman Flowers. If you have not read her book, Waste, please do. Please do. Um, it, is, it is just a, a really good way of how, she just has this really good skill set of being able to bring the intersectionality between um, just sanitation, climate change, the rural South, but also has an undertone or this common denominator of America's aging water infrastructure. And so I just love the way that she's just kind of championed through the years of her work um, to be able to just bring that platform to a higher altitude of like the importance of it and how it's affecting people across the rural South in general, but especially in low income communities. So those are just some of the people um, that I've definitely highlighted over years. But one in particular that I'm highlighting this year is Megan uh, Williams. She like, she's, I loved her work. I, I, I found out about her not too long ago, like earlier last year. Um, she's a New Orleans native and I just love how she's used, using her civil engineer skills to really um, integrate it with green infrastructure in the stormwater. Uh, arena and so she's really helping to help uh, mitigate stormwater flooding in specifically historical black communities in the New Orleans area so her story is going to be great when it comes out so <laughs> awesome awesome list of just a few of the many that you've profiled like you said 140 or right something like that that's reporting yep. and counting yeah Woo, awesome uh, I'm familiar with a couple of those people and uh, I'm gonna have to do a little bit more on look at look into Moses uh, and I've definitely heard of little Miss Flint but I have not like totally followed her story so I'm gonna have to check that out as well I've heard of Catherine Coleman flowers and she, I mean she's like a MacArthur fellow um, yeah, just yeah. thankfully, thankfully, she's getting now a lot of good attention, uh, and the situation in Alabama's black belt is now getting a lot more attention too. Um, yeah. And then Megan Williams, I've had her on this podcast. She is a she's awesome, um, and I I love what they're what she's leading really in New Orleans, like rethinking yeah. how they how they're doing their public projects around 
water, you know? Um, so what happens when February ends? You just like take a, take a big breath, huh? <laughs> Somewhat. I would love to take a big breath, but the work continues. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. just end in February. I think it's the, it's this misconception about black history that it just only ends in February. Mm -hmm. And what we fail to realize is that black history is America's history. And it happens 365 every day of the year. So if anything, like the work continues to keep searching people and keep writing, I think that was kind of the big basis of the work of how I started this work is that like if, if you weren't going to be able to see me, you're going to be able to hear me. And I did that through my words. Um, and so just can, after February, I just keep writing and I keep my eyes out for those individuals that I want to highlight. Um, and to just not only share their work, and, but to also show people how you can get involved and invested in their work as well because it's only a click away. Especially on my on my posts, I give you all their information of how you can follow up with them if you're interested in their work. There's just no excuse not to. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's what happens after February. It's a lot more work that goes into it. <laughs> what's, what's your journey when it comes to like conservation and the environment and, and maybe water aspects of that? You know, what, uh, What's what's your background? What's your, what do you do, and 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 where are you headed with all this? <laughs> yeah, those are those are big questions. There, I guess. Yeah, let's start. Let's questions. start with like your back, your your past, your background. Like you know, yeah. Well, how'd you get to this point? You know, and I love that question because I I, I took the non traditional approach when I started this. Like <clears> I was I was literally not invested in science at all. People ask me all the time, like, how, were you always this way? And I said, no, I was a theater kid. <laughs> like I started in high school as, I was really a theater kid, loved impromptu speaking. I was on the track to really go into theater. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school, Ivy Ecosystems and Society in particular, where it completely changed the trajectory of my life. It completely changed the trajectory of my life because as a kid, I've always loved to be outside. I still do. And I think that class just opened my eyes. Again, that exposure, which is so important, especially at a young age, um, to really see the other opportunities to, you know, combine the love that you already like to do and how to turn it into a professional career. And who would have thought this one elective class that I took to substitute another study hall, because I definitely didn't want to do that again in my high school year, <laughs> my senior year at that. I was like, I just was not in the mood for a, a, another study hall. So I took this class and it just like blew my mind. And that class really had me changing my whole trajectory of my life. I ended up choosing a whole different major for it. And it, it kind of led me to this point, <laughs> honestly. Um, it was just an involved, hands-on class that I really loved, from like soil science to fresh water, especially. Um, shout out to Milwaukee <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and the Milwaukee County Park System. We were just so hands-on with every aspect of that class, and I truly loved it. And it just propelled me forward to get to want to know more about what environmental science is. And so coming coming into this space of especially now that I live in South Florida, where I come from the Great Lakes region of freshwater down here to the South Florida area, which although it's more on the coast, but I am also connected to this other large entity of freshwater, which is the Everglades, mm. which connects all of us. It's our drinking water that is supplied for all of us. And so I often connected to 
uh, a lot of the purpose that I have is connected to water because it's water is just this good denominator that connects all of us. No matter where you are in the nation, you will always be connected to water some kind of way. Um, so that's what kind of leads me back into this work of what connects us all together. The environment, certainly, but definitely water is like this single most entity that we all need. It's this life sustaining force that everything, everyone needs. And so how to really shift the knowledge or shift the mindset of our people in the community to come out of this thinking of thinking water is a commodity mm. to really thinking water as more of a respected entity. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I, lo I love the two huge points you made there. Like one class or one experience or something can be so formative, right? And like really catapult you on your way in some direction you didn't even really really realize um i've told the story before on here about like i was in middle school and they took us on a field trip to the chesapeake bay uh and they took us out for like a at night for a canoe ride through the marsh with like a full moon and like the the birds and the water and like that always like stuck in my head um it was a really great experience um but i love your point also about just water as this like common denominator unifier um and then your work to highlight all these people show that people can go work in these fields and be stewards and help take care of it and uh and everything so good stuff well i am definitely going to uh have a link to your project uh in the in the description for this episode i encourage people to go through and and read these different profiles um they're incredible people that you're highlighting but like i said in the beginning you do a, a fantastic job writing about them um and you're a great follow on linkedin anyway just for your perspective on stuff so sierra thank you glad we finally caught up same here thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find the latest episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.